you know, who kind of got me into Karma Loop was like, yo man, Diplo showed Beyonce the video we did. Beyonce wants us to, uh, you know, shoot her next video. So <laughs> that was unreal. I thought we were getting pranked. <laughs> here we are. Like, You're listening to the Gangstar Creative Podcast, where we talk and share real strategies, real tactics, and real stories from me and my badass guests to help Gangstar creatives and artists like you thrive in both your business and life. And I'm your host, Ivana. I'm an artist, creative entrepreneur, speaker, and best-selling author. Are you ready to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist? If so, let's get it. Today's Gangstar creative guest is Shomi Patwari, and he's a Bengali-American video director and producer who leaves his abstract and left-field mark on any project that comes his way. With a skill set that covers all aspects of audiovisual storytelling, whether directing or music producing, Shomi is additionally a talented cinematographer, editor, graphic, and web designer. At the 2016 Much Music Awards, Show Me was nominated for Video of the Year, Best Hip Hop Video, and Best Much Fact Video for Might Not by Rock Nation's Belly featuring The Weeknd. Show Me has worked with stars like Beyonce, ASAP Rocky, The Weeknd, Diplo, Major Lazer, Kevin Hart, and many others. And he's also worked with global corporations like Disney, Apple, Adidas, Bacardi, Mountain Dew, and so many more. In this episode, Shomi shares his journey from graduating with a computer science degree to becoming one of the top filmmakers in the music industry, how he cultivates his relationships with his clients, and some of the behind-the-scenes process of creating a music video, and so, so much more. So, gangsters, you're in for a treat. I'm super excited to dive in and have Shomi share his journey with you. All right, gangsters, I'm super excited to have Shomi Patwari with me today. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thank you for uh, having me. Yeah. If you could start off by telling our Gangstar listeners just a little bit about yourself. Who is Show Me? Take us on a journey of where you started and where you are today. Uh, I am a filmmaker, uh, director, creative director, editor. It just depends on what day it is. But uh, mainly I run a production company called um, Elusive Media and we started about 2002 out of college and um you know it wasn't always supposed to be a video production company i kind of started out as more of an independent record label oh wow and that kind of transitioned into what it is today but my you know uh degree is in computer science and my parents were very traditional south asian parents from bangladesh and uh, you know just an immigrant mentality very hard working but um you know they wanted me to go into computer science you know it's very <laughs> hard for them to imagine making any money being in the arts so you know it was a little shocking for them like this is what i seriously wanted to do with my life once i graduated you know i graduated in uh 2005 uh went to odu for computer science uh with uh oh, one of my best friends who uh, helped me launch the company together. And, uh, you know, eventually, uh, you know, there was a point where during the recession, we shut down and we kind of went two different ways. He kind of took the nine to five route. And initially mm -hmm. I took the nine to five route as well. And, um, you know, it transitioned me to coming back to this, you know, I realized I like working for myself, but, um, 
you know, we started out as a, a record label. I was trying to make beats for other local rappers in Virginia. And That's the first cool. rapper that I ever worked with was uh, Nicholas F. And um, through Nick, I met the guys at Star Trek and Pharrell and Chad were like, just like, you know, hometown heroes for me. I really looked up to them when I was in college. Yeah. Still do to this day, you know. Never in my mind thought I would be able to meet them and work with them. But, um, you know, it wasn't overnight. You know, I just was a fan at first. And uh, having Nick as an artist, you know, we were kind of just trying to develop him uh, to a level where he could get signed to a major. We had no, like, music industry experience. We were just going with our gut instinct, you know. <laughs> I had no business experience and anything like that. Like I didn't even know what an invoice was for a long time. So, <laughs> you know, starting out, it was just a, ha uh, it was just a hobby and passion. So like, you yeah. know, me, Nick and our whole crew, we were uh, managed by this guy, Eric Curry. And he had another partner, which is Magoo from Timbal and Magoo at the time. And it was funny because like people loved Nick when he was doing musically and our production was cool, but, like, what they were impressed by was, like, the website and the graphic design we were doing. And, you know, mm. we just did that out of necessity because there was no industry and we didn't know anybody else that did it. So, like, having our computer science background helped because we kind of, like, did we it all. We code everything. <laughs> yeah. We, we learned yeah. how to make our own websites and everything. Never thought that having a computer science background would give us this quicker easier in into the industry but that's how it worked out you know because one day Magoo mm -hmm. was like who's making those websites uh for you guys I'm like oh we did he's like <laughs> look you know I like your production and all with the music stuff but I think you've got a way bigger career in the media side of things and at the time wow. in Virginia Beach Virginia where I'm from you know like people weren't just doing like websites for rappers and you know singers and things like that so it was just a very unique time you know so like now yeah. it's like 2004 and through nick i meet uh pharrell's artist family and through nick i meet one of pharrell's a r's uh doug dozier and through those guys you know i started working with fam uh you know he had a single out called rock and roll uh that was under star trek and he was signed to Def Jam at the time, and they took me in, and they were just impressed. Like, I was just so hungry, you know. I didn't care about the money. I was just like, man, put me to, put me to work, you know. Let me follow you guys mm -hmm. on tour. Let me get backstage. Let me, you know, go to these uh, studio sessions. I was just hungry, didn't care about the money, and I just, like, had this small little uh, camera back then. It's called a Handycam. So I was just capturing all this footage, <laughs> just, like, you know, grateful to be in the company of these folks yeah. that I looked up to and then met Pusha T and Pusha was like, yo, we're having some label issues. You know, I heard you could do a mixtape cover. And I was like, yeah, you know, and uh, did their mixtape cover for We Got It For Cheap, volume one. And then, it, you know, that built a relationship with the clips. I did their website. And then the MySpace era came, which is like, mm -hmm. it started in 2003, but it got really, really strong in like 2006. And yeah. by then we had already graduated and my parents are like, what do you want to do, you know, with your life? Like, are you trying to get this internship, you know, with these mm -hmm. other software companies or whatever? I was like, no, nah, I think we got something going on here. My parents are like, all right, I'm giving you guys six months to figure this out or else, you know. <laughs> 
You're on your At own. At least I gave you that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what I did is, you know, over the years, I was just, you know, building this network on my own. And I remember that summer when I graduated, I was just going hard and, like, doing websites and flyers. And I had saved up, like, $10,000, you know, on my own. And then my best friend, who was my partner at the time, Philip Lee, uh, also like saved up some money and we put our money together and just took a risk and took a loan, uh, you know, took a uh, lease out on our first office. And then we met other like creatives that were, uh, you know, locals. And we said, hey, look, we'll go rent this space. You guys should just work for us, but not like full time, but kind of do your own thing on the side. You know, I'll mm-hmm. pay the, you know, me and uh, Phil, my best friend, will pay the rent, but, you know, just hook us up when it comes to, like, working for us, you know, give us a good deal. So, it was, like, a really unique experiment for us, you know? Like, I met uh, Rob, uh, Robbie Simmons, uh, you know, through MySpace. He came on board, and he was doing all our, like, next level, like, coding and VFX and stuff that we didn't even know how to do. Like, we knew a little bit, but he was just, like, way advanced. And so he was, like, a secret weapon, you know, to have locally. So, like, that impressed a lot of people. Like, it put us to a level where we were doing, like, interactive Flash websites and things like that. We still weren't heavy in the video world. Um, We were just doing, you know, at first, like I said, local clients and then working under, uh, you know, Varel and the Clips and all these guys that were signed to Star Trek really like got the attention of other folks you know got the attention of drake and then you know we put kind of like this relationship with drake and nick together through the internet and that was a crazy time you know at the time we didn't think drake was gonna be that big i'll be honest (laughs) you know i got him a collaboration with um uh, malice who goes by no malice now from the Mm -hmm. clip and just using my internet connections i got them on a mixtape that was pretty big at the time it just was like a remix version of the uh, clips mixtape which is ironic now looking at you know the beef and everything <laughs> but um at the time it was just a unique you know time like you could just like start meeting these people that would just grow up you know grow up to be these major major stars yeah we were in first you know uh at the time just you know i was an admin on the Star Trek forum, like all these NERD fans and like Star Trek fans and Pharrell would just be on that forum and I would meet them and I was an admin. So I like, they kind of looked up to me a little bit. And I would just <laughs> Try to like give them the exclusive news and all that and meet all this like exclusive footage. So it made me feel a little special. And I met a lot of people through that and yeah, I bet. through that connection and then just like doing websites for all these guys at Star Trek. I met um, Nate Dangerhands, who was producing for Timberland at the time. And this is when he was working on the Justin Timberlake album and uh, the Nelly Furtado album. So uh, as that was blowing up, we had done uh, Danger's uh, MySpace. And it was this crazy, like, Flash MPC that was like a header on MySpace and it was interactive. And nobody had seen anything like that. And so that attracted the attention of a lot of people that were starting to blow up at the time so like all these major major super producers were coming to us to like redo their myspace pages and uh you know we would just charge uh, you know 
prices that nobody would think you would charge for at the time for MySpaces. We were charging like $7,000 to do Sean Paul's MySpace page, you know, like it's unheard wow. of. Wow. You know, my parents- Man, just, I wish I knew about that when I was uh, <laughs> growing up because yeah, I, I used to custom code like MySpace layouts too. And yeah, I remember seeing so we some were, of y'all stuff. So. Yeah, so we were doing that. And um, again, what we started doing is because we had footage, we started incorporating- like video footage into the MySpace players that we were, we were making custom players. Wow. And so like, and this it, was before YouTube. <laughs> yeah. This is before YouTube, you know? And then yeah. when YouTube came around, um, we had met uh, this rapper skills who was like one of the first rappers to ever get signed out of Virginia to like Atlantic records. And I always looked up to skills cause he was like this amazing ghostwriter and, you know, he was writing for a lot of famous people from Will Smith to a bunch of other people. So I always looked up to him. I always loved him, you know, as a rapper. And, you know, he was like, yo, man, you should like do my video for my next single. I was like, really, dude? Like, we barely have a budget. Like, how are we going to do it? He's like, let's just figure it out. And it was a single with Freeway. And then Freeway is hot at the time. You know, he was signed to uh, Jay-Z. And so we did this single with Skills and Freeway. And we shot it all on this digital camera with Scott Hansen. And we did it for like next to nothing. Like we didn't actually make any money off of it, but like, you know, the money we had, we spent on the production, like renting out a studio or whatever. And at the time, like you really couldn't like shoot video in digital format because you still had Hype Williams and Little X and all these guys shooting on film doing, you know, 500 to a million dollar budgets and we were doing videos for a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars oh snap somehow this video uh with skills and freeway ended up being jam of the week on mtv which was a big deal for us it's my first video on mtv and you know this is still fresh out of college and you know this new company we've got you know virginia beach virginia and it was like just really getting the attention of a lot of people and then I realized, like, hey, man, I really like doing this video stuff more than coding. It's a lot more exciting to be in video because you're incorporating so many aspects of multimedia, you know? So it was fun, mm-hmm. you know? Like, things were great. Like, the Clips wanted to do a video. We did a video for them. And it was funny when we did the uh, Freeway video, I mean, with Skills, the Skills and Freeway video, Freeway had a single out called Big Spender with Jay-Z. I was so naive. I was like, man, you should let us shoot that. You know, I'm like, I'm realizing like, dude, like Jay-Z is in the record. Like (laughs) we wrote this treatment course. It didn't get selected. And I was bummed out about it, but you know, we were naive, but I think if you're not naive, you're not going to get it here in the first place. You know, like you have to be naive. I always tell that to like everybody, you have to be a little bit of a dreamer, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you know, like we, um, we, uh, you know, expanded, got a bigger crew on board and then like the music industry just collapsed. It was like 2008, 2009, just mm-hmm. the music business was going through this transition where they didn't know how to deal with, you know, downloading and streaming. <laughs> LimeWire. Yeah, <laughs> all this stuff and Pandora was just coming out. And so oh, they didn't yeah. know how to deal with any of these things. And so, I mean, they couldn't afford to do websites like for these big budgets that we were starting to get them for, you know, we went from doing websites for like a thousand dollars to $3,000 to now 
30000 to $50,000, you know? That's what's up, um, yeah. And then suddenly being accustomed to doing like $30,000 websites and then being told up, we don't have these budgets anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, everything's getting, you know, uh, just everything's getting minimized. It was crazy for us because we still had the overhead, you know? We expanded mm-hmm. to having two studios now in 2008 because we needed that space, we thought. And here it is, like, we're in the midst of recession. So, like, yeah. the recession hit, and, you know, we let go of one of our studios, and we started downsizing and going back to our roots again. And then just, you know, it's just a very, very strange time for us, you know, trying to figure out how do we adjust to this, like, you know, new industry of, like, people not even needing websites anymore. Twitter came out, you know. Mm-hmm. Facebook was dominant. MySpace was dying out, so nobody needed those pages anymore. So, you know, like these flash websites weren't a thing. Uh, just, you know, mobile viewing became a thing, and you couldn't even view flash websites on phones anyways. I so, know. <laughs> like, everything that was like our bread and butter was trying to go away in the website world. And what was fun about doing websites was making interactive websites. That was going away. So I had to, like, rethink. So uh, my boy Phil briefly worked with me at Hampton University when we were like launching a TV show for them for this, like the campus. And um, he decided he kind of wasn't into it as much. And I stuck with it and got a full-time job being a media, media supervisor over there, you know, whether it was like figuring out how to do their commercials or filming their events, you know, what would be a cool, easy way to do it as kind of running that department. And then I got lucky. At least two years went by at Hampton and I kind of felt stuck in this nine to five world and the world of academia, which yeah. I you know, was grateful for because I had a salary. And around that time, I had met my wife, I took a trip to Bangladesh, met my wife. And she, she was just like, you know, what do you do for a living? Like, this is really unique. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I guess I work at a university, but I really want to do rap videos, you know, for a living. And she was super supportive. I was like, look, that's what you want to do. You know, I'm there to support you. And, uh, you know, um, by the time she got her citizenship and, you know, in US, we got this crazy opportunity. A friend of mine that I met at a party a while ago was like, yo, I'm in New York. We're launching this thing called Karma Loop TV and I think you'd be a Karma Loop. Yeah. And so they said, hey, you'd be a sick content creator because you really look like you know how to do a lot with very little. And it was another opportunity of a lifetime to move to New York. It was very scary because I grew up in this, you know, Virginia Beach. Yeah. (laughs) It's not small small, big city. Small big city. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, but it wasn't an industry city, right? Yeah. New York to me just like seemed like oh my god this place is wild you know like anything goes and you know how expensive New York is and so mm-hmm. I'm like, Man, if I take this job what if I get you know fired or something where do I go from there you know because you got to get a lease in an apartment or whatever so they offered me like this six-figure job which was incredible you know like they offered me this six-figure job and it's like look use That's your awesome. own, use your own connect it was a dream job I'm not gonna lie use your own connections to like make your own content and just premiere 
on on the channel. That was my job. I was to find cool ideas and network with these cool artists. Kind of was always like a natural networker just from the beginning. And so like it was easy for me to meet people and convince them like, yo, work with me. Let's like do some cool stuff. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I had my eyes on ASAP Rocky and ASAP Ferg. I was like, yo, these kids are about to be next. I'm telling you, they're going to get signed. I was telling, you know, uh, the owner of Karma Loop. He's like, look, they look cool. They dress cool. Love their music. Love their aesthetic. Let's go ahead and like do their videos as long as they premiere with us. So, you know, I met Ferg through my brother. My brother was still at ODU and he was producing music. And so like, he had been around me since he was a kid as far as being Mm -hmm. in the industry. So like I would take him to concerts. So my brother Tash would be like backstage with the clips or like Dipset at the time in like 2000. So he's early like understanding how to like deal with artists, you know, just, just, just by being around them naturally, just had a good, good, good gift of gab, you know, like just they Mm -hmm. developed and, um, you know, using that gift of gab, he just built this friendship with uh, the ASAP mob and then connected me because he felt like, okay, well, I could provide them something visually. They were still new and fresh. And the ASAP mob, like, showed me a lot of respect because they looked up to Star Trek and Pharrell. And they're like, dude, if you were working with Pharrell, we respected you, you know, do your thing. And so, you know, it was super easy to get along with them and just get in. Little do we know, like, at the time that ASAP Rocky was going to have these multi-platinum, you know, singles. <laughs> yeah. You know, Kendrick and Drake and Skrillex and all these people. And so we did that. You know, we worked with the mob and ended up doing all these music videos for them. Like, um, you know, to this day, I'm best friends with, like, Ferg, really good friends with Rocky. Like, they're still the homies. Mm-hmm. Ended up doing, like, 20 music videos with these guys collectively, you know? And yeah um you know started kind of really building unique content for karma loop through that connection because asap rocky and asap ferg and the rest of the mob was part of this new like revival of the east coast scene you know and i was in that center of that in 2012 so like i got to meet these kids named bodega bams and like world's fair you know a track was involved and then diplo got involved and it was crazy. Like we were just meeting like some of the top guys that was just like taking over the internet. Timing was everything, you know, like mm-hmm. it just, I don't know. I, you know, I feel blessed. I know I worked hard to like build those connections, but again, yeah. timing was just crazy. So like from that, I was still at Karma Loop and Diplo loved what we did for him, offered me to do a major laser video. This is before major laser blew up and before, you know, he had lean on and all the other major singles you know, mm-hmm. we started working with Diplo and Major Laser, And it was funny because I had met Diplo through another friend named Benzie. And they had a mixtape together. And then I was managing this band called Mansions on the Moon uh, based out of Virginia at the time. And when I was managing them, Diplo hooked it up, you know, like mixed the album for free. And Pharrell... Oh, that's what's up. Yeah, Pharrell was just such a fan of the band. Uh, here I was managing this band and Pharrell was Pharrell and Shay became a huge fan and executive produced and co-signed it and had us do remixes for NERD through that band so like we you know ended up getting a placement on Mac Miller's next album and did a record called PA Nights 
And then those guys went on tour, but I got so busy with my video work and we were just kind of like, you know, getting both busy in our own world. They moved to the West Coast. So we stayed friends, but I couldn't really manage them at the time. I just mm-hmm. focused on my own career working at Karma Loop. And then everything was going good, you know, uh, through that opportunity. You know, my friend Lil Internet, aka Julian, um, also from Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia, you know, who kind of got me into Karma Loop was like, yo, man, Diplo showed Beyonce the video we did. Beyonce wants us to, uh, you know, shoot her next video. So <laughs> that was unreal. I thought we were getting pranked. And <laughs> here we are, like signing a 50 page NDA. So I can't even go too deep into the Beyonce stuff just because still legally binded by this crazy contract. But long story short, oh, yeah, wow. Julian's directing this video that I'm, you know, the cinematographer for. And now we got Beyonce under our belt, you know, under our portfolio, the biggest artist of all time. Yeah. And now we got Major Lazer, ASAP Rocky. So like we're building up this like A-list clientele, you know. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen overnight, you know. We started out in 2003. Now here's 2012, almost a decade later. You know, we've got these A-listers. And what happened was Carmeloop was doing really well on the video side of things. But I think um, on the finance side of things with their merchandising, there was a lot of mix-ups and things were going on and they couldn't sustain the streetwear merchandising e-commerce side of things, which was ultimately like powering the Karma Loop platform. And so Karma Loop was starting to like get sold to these new investors. And so oh. I think it kind of is like seeing my way out of there. Mm-hmm. And Kind of went freelance for a little bit, but I was still scared because I'm like, now in New York, my cost of living is up. Don't have any six-figure salary income. Trying to hustle again to like, you know, get work on my own. And then suddenly that summer when I leave Karma Loop, I get an offer to now be the senior producer at Fader. And Fader like really loved the way I was running things at Karma Loop. And it was fun. Uh, friend Joseph Patel and he was like this other brown dude you know from you know uh, Indian American just successful like he was the first guy that I saw that was like in the industry that was like (laughs) that looked like me you know like you yeah yeah so I was like wow this is crazy like he did a show called My Block on MTV I don't know if you guys remember that but My Block was like this amazing show where they would go to these different cities and like cover the whole scene. And so I met Joseph Patel when he came to Virginia because he was doing a My Block special and I knew all the Star Trek guys and I hooked him up with mm-hmm. Bam Lay and we always kept Everybody. In touch. <laughs> yeah, and so we always kept in touch and now Joseph was like the VP of Fader and was like offering me this position and like this great salary once again and I was grateful and I took the job on but what I was realizing was you know I just was helping build these other platforms for other people and I was just working so hard like I was starting to get vertigo like I didn't know what was causing wow. it at first and I was scared I was like oh my god do I have like some sort of like brain condition or something I didn't know what it was because I was just getting it suddenly mm-hmm. and I was like putting off like 
getting an MRI just because I was scared of the results, you know? Dang. So, yeah, so I was scared. I was like, man, like, if I'm going to get vertigo on set and pass out on set, this is not, not good. a good look. <laughs> yeah, like, how, you know, like, I did a Mob Deep video, and, like, luckily I shot their scenes, but after they left set, like, I passed out. I had to call, you know, like, 911. My wife had to call 911, and, like, I was on a stretcher, you know? And it happened, like, three times as I was freelancing, and I was like, oh, man, this is bad. And I started yeah. You know, I, I was, I was really, I, I have a lot of anxiety because like, I think I care too much sometimes about mm -hmm. every little detail, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I was realizing, you know, all I've been doing is just working, working, working all the time. And also like under other, the stress of like meeting other people's deadlines. And so my wife was like, you know, I think what you need to do is at this point you have enough of a portfolio where I think you should get an agent and have that agent bring you work and just go freelance, you know, like it was no bad, bad blood between Fader. I was just, I just felt like, you know what? I just need to branch out and do my own thing. And yeah, so, you have to do what's best for you, especially yeah, when you're so I took a leap of faith. Play. I took a leap of faith and like typed up my resignation letter and gave them my two weeks. It was all good. They understood you know, put your health first. And then yeah. this was around 2015 now, I think, 2014, I think. Yeah, 2014, I, you know, left a very steady, good paying job. And now I'm just like in my New York apartment with my wife, it's just me and her. <laughs> You're like, what are we gonna do next? And luckily this agency seeked me out called Code Media a UK based agency. And they're like, look, I think you have enough of a portfolio for us to be able to bring you work. And so I signed a non-exclusive deal where I was able to, you know, work with them when they brought me work. But if I found my own work, I didn't have to cut them a finder's fee or anything. Cause that was just me on my own. So that was mm -hmm. a situation to be in. And, you know, while code was repping me, like they were bringing me some work here and there, but you know, like I myself was just using my connections with Rocky and these guys, and we were just getting a lot of work. You know, it's been a blessing. Like, hey, Gangstar, sorry to interrupt, but if you're enjoying this episode so far, stop what you're doing right now and share this podcast with your friends on social media or text it to a friend in your contacts. If you're a true Gangstar and want to uplift and empower other creatives like I know you do, you're gonna wanna take a few seconds to do this now. Go ahead and pick your phone back up or click that browser tab that you're playing this episode in, hit that pause button and share it now. Hello, what are you waiting for? <laughs> All right, thank you for doing that. Now let's get back to the show. You know, The weekend was the hottest artist at the time and you know, he had signed this artist named Belly and Belly had a record with The weekend called Might Not. And yep. <laughs> they hired me to direct that video that blew up and then it was just one thing after another it was crazy then mark ronson had the biggest single at the time called um uptown funk mm -hmm. and again like <laughs> i don't know what it is you know these guys are seeking me out had ended up doing like mark ronson's second single from that album you know that album went platinum multi-platinum and then joey badass came around and i did his video and that video like was his first single to ever win platinum. So it was like one thing after another, like I, I was 
I either I was getting lucky or just had the touch. I don't know what it was, but we were doing videos and they were all going viral, you know, 30 million, 50 million, a hundred million, you know, views. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and then it was crazy. I got, you know, this relationship I had built with Amigos and, you know, Offset's label reached out and um, did Ric Flair drip. And now that video is about to hit 400 million views. So it's just like all this exposure I was getting, you know, and that's what's been happening, mm -hmm. you know, like just being able to be like doing videos that are getting hundreds of millions of views with my name, you know, you know, either in the YouTube description credits or on the actual video, you know, right. re-advertising at that point. So the work comes to you, you know, when you're doing work for clients on that level. And I think what happened is, you know, I just launched my own production company at that time because it gave me the most control. I learned how to do production just from like having an agency that was kind of a production company. So mm -hmm. my wife and I just said, hey, let's just launch our own production company. And as we were making money, uh, we were very frugal. Like we were living in this one apartment, one bedroom apartment in Queens, but we were starting to bring in like six figures in profits, you know. That's you know, quarter million in profits and we were just saving that money and then we said you know what like we should start buying our own equipment start buying everything and that one bedroom apartment wasn't going to cut it and it was funny one day I was just like I took a cab to go to a meeting the cab driver was Bengali so we just started talking and the mm -hmm. dude where do you live it's like I'm in Jackson Heights, Queens, but I'm looking for a new spot. He's like, you ever think of moving to Jersey? I was like, no, not really. He was like, dude, you could like live 30 to 40 minutes away, but pay way less and get like a, you know, a actual house. I was like, <laughs> really? So it'd be like living in Virginia. And I got a yeah. real estate agent, started looking at Jersey and I was like, whoa, like these neighborhoods look like neighborhoods I grew up in Virginia Beach. But 30 minutes away is New York. So like I'm still able to put all my videos and still take my meetings with my clients. And eventually a year of searching, we ended up finding our, you know, uh, first home. And, you know, like this house was crazy because like we tra transformed our, it was a brand new home. We transformed our basement into like a, like a little studio office. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of converted the basement where one of the rooms even had an extra bedroom. So, you know, went from buying this three bedroom house that was converted to a four bedroom house with like a, you know, basement office and everything. And so like our own in-house team was able to just like spend the night if they needed to, we had enough space. And so we just became like this kind of like co-working space in my own house, you know, it was really, a little incubator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kind of like my own incubator to this day. You know, I love working out of my house. And we were traveling to LA a lot still, you know, and mm -hmm. what happened was, you know, these budgets were getting bigger. And as we were making more money, I got into real estate, me and my wife, you know, we ended up investing in, you know, because you never know like where this business is going to end. Like you could be a hot director now and the next day, maybe your style is not what people care about anymore. You never know. Yeah. You know? And, and you so kind of already experienced like, having to do a similar oh, yeah. transition during the recession ever since like the first 2008 recession 
I always had like this feeling it can happen again. And look where here we are in the midst of a, like a, you know, a recession that just happened, you know, is happening, <laughs> you know, with no, you know, no control, you know, you know, yeah. seen a pandemic come, you know, but it was funny mm-hmm. in my mindset. I always like still, even when I moved to, you know, the Jersey home, I was just investing in a lot of real estate property. And so like, we ended up buying like, you know, five other houses. And like I said, every time we were doing these major commercial gigs, you know, as we were making, you know, a decent amount of money, it's been a blessing. Like I said, uh, never, never, you know, wanted to not be grateful for all these opportunities, you know? And so, you know, me and my wife, you know, we, we, we kind of like try to give back, you know, we send back money to our family in Bangladesh and, you know, anybody that mm-hmm. needs help, you know, cause we were, we've seen, you know, how hard it is, you know, uh, when things get crazy. And so we've always given back. And then I feel like those blessings have come back, you know, tenfold, you know, I don't try yeah. to get religious, but you know, there's a spiritual side of me and I've, you know, I felt like giving back is all, you know, I just like giving back, you know, I don't yeah. like talking about it too much, but if I can help out, you know, it's always been great to be able to have that ability. And so like, you know, we, we, um, got these homes, they've been rental properties, you know, I hate, I hate being a landlord. I'm not going to lie, you know, <laughs> um, and I know right now with times that are crazy, you know, we've been very like understanding. If, yeah, I'm sure. If, if, if a tenant can't pay, we're totally cool with that. Cause like, honestly, like we get it, you know? But, mm-hmm. you know, luckily, like most of our tenants, you know, have been, uh, you know, have been able to pay or whatever, you know, but we let them low. Like, look, you know, there's no like late fees really like, you know, if you guys need help, we're there, you know? So we've been, yeah. very, we've always been understanding, but it's funny. Like we've gone from like, you know, investing in the video world and production world to like having this other income stream right Mm -hmm. and you know it's given us like the ability to be more um more selective about the kind of work we take on now yeah i was gonna say that i'm sure that gives you more of that freedom yeah you know and now here we are like dealing with this situation where like we just had like six projects canceled like literally like in one month we lost a hundred thousand dollars worth of revenue uh, not revenue but profit like Dang. you're looking at like maybe 300 to 400 thousand dollars worth of projects you know revenue and like a hundred thousand in profit all gone in a month but you know um it could have been worse you know uh absolutely me and my wife we saved and we have investments in other areas and mm-hmm. we're able to you know make it you know and i've always got my family in virginia like you know, like we're in, yeah. a good, we're in a decent situation, you know, and oh, that's really good. Luckily, you know, people have reached out people. I've had relationship for years. Like my friend, Kenna, who signed, who was signed to Pharrell at one point. I'm working with Kenna right now. You know, he's got a project down. We're doing it remotely. Uh, I'm working on a project with uh, Showtime television right now. They've got a show called Deez and Miro that my brother is, uh, you know, working at and, you know, I'm producing a, I'm directing a segment for them remotely. So we're figuring it out. You know, it's a new world. 
you know? It is. Get out. And we're just grateful to be working. So. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important for everybody who's like, listen to your whole journey and story to kind of see from the financial side of it, you seem, sounds like you were always smart about it. You mentioned you were frugal you know, in the beginning. Throughout. When I was younger, really? I was pretty stupid. <laughs> and every once in a while, I'll do something stupid. Like, you know, I remember it was 2006 or 2007. I was what, like maybe 23 or 24. Like uh-huh. getting these big checks. I was still living home with parents. Like, so any money I made was just like, straight you used it on whatever <laughs> yeah so I, was, I bought like two cars i bought like a mercedes and an infinity suv oh snap my dad's mm-hmm. a CPA, he's an accountant he's like you should be investing in real estate i was like yeah whatever i'm always gonna make money and so like <laughs> I, was I had nothing to show for it you know when i lost everything i had nothing but luckily i had my parents you know like i was able to stay home and those you know and you know they they, they knew that i was a hard worker so mm-hmm. like they were like you know they never like guilt trip me into how I did it. You know, you learn from your mistakes. Yeah. So, like, I think in your, in your twenties, you, you typically kind of just let loose and you figure exactly, out yourself. You, you, you take know? all those risks, you make all those exactly, stupid decisions. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, even recently, like I kind of sprouted a bit, like me and my wife, we had a crazy year last year, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, like mental health is important, you know, because like, we were working super hard and then my wife got diagnosed with um having a brain tumor you know oh no yeah and it, like it halted all our production because wow you know we felt like we needed a break luckily it wasn't cancerous and so far it hasn't been growing you know and yeah. so we've been like seeking you know medic you know all sorts of like solutions specialists and yeah you know, specialists and things so you know I, I, at first it was a nightmare you know I felt like 2019 was a crazy year like we we made a lot of money we made our millions or whatever in 2019 mm-hmm. but it was the worst time at the same time like you know yeah. I, I usually don't share all this stuff uh in interviews but I'll say it because there's another human side to people you know there's business absolutely but what people don't realize you gotta you got personal life struggles that you got to deal with <laughs> you got to maintain all that you know it's very mm-hmm. hard to like you know, balance all that. And we've done our best, you know, like my wife went through, you know, miscarriage uh, and this thing with the, you know, so much hard stuff was happening in 2019. And I'm like, you know, we were working hard and then we decided mm-hmm. like, look, we're taking like two months or three months off. And we did. So what's funny is <laughs> we took three months off. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're like, all right, cool. That was great. That's just what we needed. We took three months off. And right after those three months, we're landing in March now. <laughs> and then this happens. <laughs> so it's almost like an extended break. <laughs> yeah, but you know what's funny? This doesn't feel like a break. It's stressful, but I'm doing my best to deal with it. But yeah, you know, it's a strange year, you know? It so, is. I don't know. You know, I don't know what to predict. I'm doing my best. It was a very, last two years have been strange. Like last year we made a lot of money and it's, it's, if we made enough money where like we saved it up or we're able to get by this year, you know, mm-hmm. and like I said, me and my wife, we're still pretty frugal. Like, you know, last, last year we treated ourselves and like bought a brand new sports car, or whatever. Now looking yeah. back, it was like, damn, yeah, I didn't know I wasn't going to be able to 
you know, not go outside <laughs> and drive that car. Now I'm like, ah, that was a waste of money, money, you know, but whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like I feel like we earned it. But for the most part, you know, life is unpredictable. So you always got to save, you know, for a rainy yeah. day. And in Absolutely. this scenario, you got to save up for a whole year, it seems like. <laughs> I know this this whole year is super super crazy and even for me and my husband like we're I'm 29 he's 30 and like our 20s uh building our branding company it's like we saw a lot of money come in but we saw a lot of money go we made a lot of stupid financial decisions and we it's all just do like, it that time. learn from that yeah you gotta learn from it because it's better to do it in your 20s than be like in your mid 30s or mid 40s <laughs> go do that right not to yeah, say like, hey, you know, nobody should be able to love, make mistakes as they're older because you don't know mm-hmm. when somebody's getting that opportunity or seeing like some real money for the first time, you know? Yeah, it's, and it's a big deal. <laughs> but I, I like to, t- you know, tell others about my mistakes so they don't repeat it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It seems like you, you got to, it seems like throughout your whole journey, you've kind of almost been in the right place at the right time and just being like having your tech background yeah. in the era of music you know where I'll you say, got to. You know, you know what I'll say though? Yes, that is true. But you really, I've seen people be at the right place at the right time and ruin it, right? Mm-hmm. Either they let, let their ego get in the way or they were just thinking money and it turned people off. For me, I was always careful. You know, I like to like read people, you know, I like to get in the psychology of people and feel them out. So like, I've never been the type of guy to make others feel uncomfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that played a big role, like just knowing how to communicate to me, like communication is more important than like any other aspect in business, more even than the talent. You could be talented as hell and completely blow it because you don't know how to communicate with people and you don't understand that side of the business, you know? Mm -hmm. So like for us, our repeat business is based on the fact, you know, now, like, you know, we've been in business now, like for 15 years, you know? Yeah. Uh, And it's because we kind of know how to communicate with people, you know, we know how to not burn bridges and, I've got clients that were clients from day one that are still my clients and friends, you know? And that what would is- you say, what would you say are like the, if for somebody listening who wants to kind of gain that high, pro- high profile clientele, what would you say like are the three keys to success when working with clientele like that? Or how do you keep those relationships? How do you find or build those relationships? You have to first, you know, like I said, not think money first, right? Think of building a relationship first. And in a relationship, that client has to respect you as well. So if you feel like you're being taken advantage of, that's not somebody worth keeping in touch with or keeping a business going with, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it's a small budget or a big budget, one thing I refuse to do is let a client disrespect me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm the same way, you know, I'll never disrespect my clients. So establishing a healthy relationship right Uh, with how you communicate so like build that relationship because that relationship is going to grow into like 50 other relationships with 50 other people you know so if you can cultivate one good relationship that can turn into 30 other good relationships which turns into 100 other good relationships and that's to me is the art of networking so that's one right Mm -hmm. good communication is part of that so building that relationship and it all is entangled 
So it's just like, you know, never think money first. Yeah, you got to get money. Yeah, you got to make your profits or whatever. But what's more important than money is quality work. So if your work is great, it's going to speak for itself and bring you more clientele regardless. So my thing's always been like with first time clients, many of them, I'm not going to like hit them over the head. You know, I see what they can afford. I'll give them my best work. And if they're talented, combining all those things, you know, is a successful recipe for a good piece of, uh, you know, a quality uh, project. So like, you know, if, if the artist is talented and then you're using your personal talent and everybody's cool, you've got a video that ends up going viral and it's beneficial. You know, like I had a friend that we worked with, like this girl back in the days from Virginia Beach, she was 14. Her parents came to us. We did her MySpace, her photo shoot, her little website, you know, always mm-hmm. kept in touch with her family. And it was maybe two years ago now, you know, she was still, she still kept that dream alive. You know, she didn't make it when she was 14. And now I think 10 years later, she's 24 or whatever, still friends with us, came back to us and said, Hey, show me, I want to do my first big single with you still, you know, because they just remembered how good you were to them. Mm -hmm. Little did we know, like, you know, and and it, and it wasn't the craziest budget because she had just got signed to Atlantic. And I still said, look, we're going to look out. We're going to do our best. We did the video. And this year, that video hit 500 million views. You know, it was for this girl, Ava wow. Matt, you know, Sweet But Psycho. So, like, we did the Sweet But Psycho video when we did not think, you know, like, she was going to be this big, you know, mm-hmm. you know, top 40 you know, number one in the charts level single. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Just because we were friends and family. And to this day, you know, we still talk. You know, she'll hit me up. Hey, how's everything going? So, like, I have a very, like, family-friendly approach to things. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, relationship, a quality product, and, you know, just taking responsibility, you know, being on time as much as you can it's not always going to happen not always under your control but you know Mm -hmm. being on time is more about like not over promising so you know when you talk to a client never over promise you know like that's a big problem for a lot of people you know like on delivery yeah yeah you know being realistic with expectations gotcha so those are my like few little things, you know, like yeah, relationship where money's not a factor, really, you know, mm-hmm. because money will come, and a good quality product at the end of the day, well, no matter if you're in the business of, you know, designing T-shirts or if you're in the business of making websites or if you're in the business of doing what we do in video production, right? Mm-hmm. Never let like the money distort anything i think those are pretty good takeaways for everybody listening i know you also i mean people that will see that i'm interviewing you and hear you talk how you worked with beyonce i'm sure people are thinking like what is it like to work with her but then i also heard you say like you had to sign like this hefty NDA, so i don't even know if you can talk about yeah 
let's just say like when we went to the Parkwood offices, like you have to take a photo and you have to scan your fingerprints. That's as far as go. <laughs> it's pretty. Wow. That's, yeah. I mean, I think that's a pretty valuable insight too. It's just like, nobody knows what it's like to work with somebody with that yeah. high level of superstardom. So the yeah. fact that you I mean, had to do similar, that. You know, we work with, I worked with Mariah Carey this year. Um, I did uh, some, you know, um, behind the scenes stuff where we were filming, you know, her photo shoot and stuff. And that mm-hmm. was just like, I'm just, you know, grew up on Mariah Carey. It was funny because yeah. I don't really do like behind the scenes work, but for Mariah Carey, I'm like, dude, I'm down. So like, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> like, it was crazy, you know, it's Mariah Carey, you know, it's Beyonce levels of talent and, you know, mm-hmm. nuts, you know, being able to work with these folks that you grew up idolizing, you know, same thing with Ric Flair. Like I was big into wrestling when I was a kid and, working with him on the offset video, you know, it's nuts, you know, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's unreal. And, and one of the things I've done during this quarantine is I look back on my life and saw how a lot of this stuff has been almost stranger than fiction. And so recently Mm -hmm. I kind of, I just two nights ago, me and my best friend uh, from high school, not Philip, another friend of mine named Devin Jackson, we just finished our first, uh, movie script combining our childhood memories and our experience in the industry so like we just finished this road trip comedy kind of that's oh, based cool. on true stories you know so I'm yeah. excited I'm trying to go into the movie world now you know because everybody's been asking me when are you directing your first movie and I'm like dude when am I going to get time to write a script because I'm always <laughs> working Finally, the quarantine. Quarantine's hit. like, hey, it's yeah, time. Got extra time. And honestly, it hasn't been that easy because it, it just like, it gave me time to like, because, you know, when you're doing video production and you've got like a crew of 50 to 30 people, that's physically like exhausting work. Mm-hmm. Quarantine stuff's just mentally exhausting work more than anything else, which takes a physical toll, but like, you're at the same time just home so like you know as I'm like editing stuff for clients right now because most of this video stuff is like we're filming over the internet and you're sending out camera or you know you have somebody in LA that's filming for you and they're sending you the footage back and you're editing it it's it's, it's a unique time so I'm just glad I finished this script I feel like to me it's a personal milestone like never thought I was going to finish a movie script this year and I did and now yeah. the goal is to like polish up that script this month and then start shopping it around, you know, using these connections I have, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's sending the script to Pharrell or sending it to Rocky, see who's interested in, you know, getting involved yeah. as a producer or acting or musically, however. So it's still exciting time, even though like, you know, you got to create your own opportunities. I know it sounds easier said than done because not everybody's in the same situation, but Luckily, you know, I've been able to make the most of it. Yeah. What is that process like when someone hires you guys for your services? So like if someone, an artist, a top artist reaches out and is like, hey, yo, I want you to uh, direct and film our next music video for our yeah. new single. Like what is that process? You know, it's, like it's, it's, it's funny because over the years as we've grown, you get less inquiries. You think you'd get more inquiries, but what happens is, because the budgets get bigger 
you know, more and more people go to your website, they're like mm -hmm. a little intimidated that they see, you know, Mountain Dew, they see like New York Knicks and NBA and all these major clients, Sony, they get a little um, intimidated. But in a way for us now where we are, it's kind of good because you kind of want to weed it out, you know, mm -hmm. it helps you automatically. You know, having that portfolio helps you filter out people that probably, you know, uh, can't like afford the services. You know, yeah. For me, absolutely. if I do, if I do a project where I feel like the client can't afford it, it's mainly because I have a very, very good relationship with that client, and we both have like mutual love for our work. So like, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you know, Pusha T as an artist, Pusha T is a homie. I'm gonna help his artist out no matter what that project budget is because it's a relationship you right. know like, um so much has been built off of conversations it's not like how people imagine it it's not like every day we got something hmm. in our box hey you want to do this everything comes off of a conversation whether we went to a party together and we caught up and we're like oh you know i got this project it all comes up in conversation i would say 80 percent of my work comes out of a phone call catching up with somebody or a conversation you know and 20 percent yeah cold email from a label saying oh we run it ran into this i know that sounds crazy like i've done a video where you got 500 million views right mm -hmm. 500 million that is half of a billion views <laughs> under the description with my name on it and i swear yeah. like i only got two emails saying hey we saw that video <laughs> but in the yeah. beginning it works that way it's kind of weird i know it's kind of weird in the beginning, it's just like having your name out there, whether, you know, if it's a website, you got your name on it, or if it's a video. In the beginning, I feel like it brings in a lot of work, but as you become a bigger business, that changes over time. So, gotcha. you know, no, I can for, totally for smaller businesses, for sure, like name recognition, all that helps. And we're still small compared to like the Hollywood production teams. We're still right. very small. We're in a weird, weird place where we're like a small company with big clients. That's how I'd put it. Yeah. I mean, it's like a boutique. Uh, yeah. We're like a boutique. Agency sort of media That's company. Exactly yeah. That's kind of how I explain it. We're like a boutique agency. You know, we work with these big clients, but we have a very personal relationship and, you know, we do it our way yeah so you have these so basically you're saying that a lot of these more recently at least you know come out of conversation so say you're having a conversation with somebody and they're like hey like i have this project i want you to be a part of it what it, what happens after that as far well, as like the process you know, of like getting if it's management involved if it's a record label a record label most of the time will just tell you hey like we have this budget you know we have fifty thousand dollars um what can you do can you send us a budget breakdown so, you know, my wife will do the budget breakdown. We use a software called Hot Budget. And so, you know, it's like, oh, Hot Budget isn't the actual software. I think it's more of a template that hmm. we purchased. But, you know, it, it works with Excel. So we'll use Microsoft Excel. And then as in Hot Budget, we kind of have our standard pricing, you know, like I charge 10% usually for my directing fee, then our production mm -hmm. companies, another 10% standard. And then, you know, so that's 20% right there. And then we handle the post. 
as well, which is the editing, color correction, all that. You know, we'll hire out a company, but we supervise the post. If, if it's something I'm not directly editing, you know, sometimes I'll hire out an editor, but either way I supervise it. So there's a fee for that as well. You know, it's production supervision. Mm -hmm. So we have a fee for the post production. There's a fee for the actual production company fee. Then there's the actual creative directing fee. So it's like three main components of the budget where we kind of make a profit and the rest goes into the video, you know, where we hire out like, our additional producers, uh, our go-to DPs, you know, like I have a cinematographer that I work with very closely in New York. His name is John Carr. He's super cool. Like him and I have an understanding, you know, like, so, you know, they hire me, they expect me to bring out a team that I'm comfortable with. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the first step is getting the treatment approved even before a budget. So, a record label will sometimes be like, hey, we have $50,000, but you've got complete creative freedom. Sometimes I'll come up with an idea that costs way more than 50. I'll say, you know, this video looks like more in the 100000 to $90,000 realm. And if they're a big fan of the treatment, they're like, you know what? We'll get a sponsor and just pay for it. And that's what happens. So oh, wow. like Define a treatment for people listening that might not know what that means. So a treatment is basically your pitch, you know, it's like your marketing pitch. It's, 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 it's your, it's not a storyboard per se, but it's basically typically like a 10 page um, document. Uh, typically you'll use Photoshop or you'll use um, Keynote. And first you kind of have like, you know, a breakdown of your ideas then you go into detail about like, oh, this is how I imagine uh, the costuming or casting to be. This is how I imagine the color correction. So it's breaking down exactly what you envision for the video. You know, mm -hmm. it's not a shot list, but more of a idea, you know, more of a, more of a treat. That's what the treatment is, you know? And then mm -hmm. it also like additional, I'll, this is a free game here, by the way, I don't give out all the secrets, but you know, <laughs> But, um, you know, it has like your bio and your portfolio and your demo reel of all the work you've done. So it's a complete package that you send out, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, typically what happens is it goes two ways. Sometimes the record label will hit you up and they'll hit up five other directors. That's usually the norm. So they'll contact five other directors or production companies and everybody's bidding for the project. Sometimes they'll love the idea so much, that no matter what the budget is, they'll go with the idea. Sometimes they feel like the guy who has a pretty good idea, but his budget's exactly what we can afford, they'll go with that person. It just varies. You know, you can never predict what they're thinking. And that's a very, very tricky thing for me mm -hmm. to this day to understand like, hey, do these guys care about the budget or do they really care about how good the treatment is? You know, just never know. You know, you never know how, how much the artist is co-signing you, you know, in that project. Right. It's part of its luck. Part of it is just, like I said, timing, you know? Part mm -hmm. of it is psychology because you have to understand how that artist is thinking. You have to get in the brain of that artist and, the, and in the brain of that record label and see what their aesthetic is. And, you kind of have to figure out what's going to be the next best step for this artist's career when you're a director. 
because you're thinking, what is a good look for them visually? Gotcha. Yep. That makes total sense. I think you sharing all that is going to be really helpful to the aspiring um, creative listening right now, for yeah. sure. I mean, right. after they say yes to a treatment, say, it's kind of like, it reminds me just like a proposal, so to speak, of what you, you propose for, you know, the project. What happens next after that? After, after they that, yes? you know, you're in the, um, you're in the prep phase. So first, you're in the proposal phase. You get the budget approved. And mm -hmm. once the budget is approved, you know, typically there's a 75% deposit, 50 to 70, depending on which record label or which agency you're dealing with. So there's a 50 to 70% deposit. Um, and then, you know, uh, they hire at your production company and you start reaching out uh, to your location scout, your casting director, your stylist. Mm -hmm. And so then your casting director sends you a deck of all the people that they think is good for the role. Then your stylist will also send you a deck and say, oh, okay, well, these are the looks we have for all the different setups. Your producer sometimes will be your location scout or you're hiring a location scout because it's a very unique treatment. Uh, your location scout will find out, okay, well, here's the parking situation. Here's how many people you can have at this house. Here's when they're available, you know, so they, they, they know everything oh, wow. from the menu. It's yeah, there's so many people you have to hire out and it's going to even get even more unique because right now everything, the production world is still because of social distancing, how many people you have. Like typically on a regular production, I have 30 to 50 people on set. So right wow. now, not possible, you know, with, with yeah. distancing rules. So all these new rules are going to come out, you know, like, so I'm curious to see what gets passed in the law. But, you know, in a typical production before, you know, pre-coronavirus world, <laughs> you, you had to, you know, uh, sometimes the artist trusts you enough where they go by whatever director of photography, which is your cinematographer that you want to go with. Or sometimes you have to pitch them. Here are my three options. Which one do you think? you guys like oh. there's a lot of a lot of back and forth um on a good production you get two weeks you know two to three mm -hmm. weeks to produce on commercials that are really high budget like we've done productions that are like in the million dollars and you get like a whole month to figure it out you know like we've yeah. pitched projects for at&t which is like a million dollar budget and they give you a whole month to figure it all out you know so it's all case-by-case case basis. You know, sometimes we've done projects that are super small and they're like, I've had phone calls at 2 a.m. for my friends at record labels and said, dude, we got to shoot the video tomorrow. <laughs> the artist is literally here for that day and we didn't even think it was going to be possible. Can we do it? And I'm crazy enough to not say yes. But Wow. You know, Wait, you said not say yes or to say yes? To say yes. I've been crazy enough to say yes. <laughs> like literally it's 2 a.m. I'm getting a phone call. And I wake up early in the morning calling my go-to guys and everybody's putting their heads together and literally figuring out the location right then and there. It's wow. I don't recommend it's not, it. it's not what I it's, enjoy, <laughs> but sometimes you got to keep that relationship going. You know, you're doing a favor. That's a favor. Yeah. Huh. It sounds crazy though. Like getting all of those Production moving parts together oh, yeah. in such a two weeks to three weeks still sounds like not a lot of time. There are so many components involved. If the food is wrong, the artist can be upset or the label can be upset. <laughs> and 
anything can go wrong, you know? It, mm -hmm. Sometimes you're responsible for the car service. Now, let's say they don't like the driver, you know? Like, how much can you control? So, stakes are higher when you're a production company. That's not how it goes for a director, keep in mind. Um, I used to just direct. You know, I used to just direct and hire out a production company. When you're just a director, a lot of that responsibility falls on the production company. But when you're just a director, oh. you're getting a 5% to 10% directing fee out of a $100,000 budget or even the lowest $5,000 budget, right? So mm -hmm. your production company, you make way more money. You know? Not that I do it for the Ten money. Ten times more work. <laughs> yeah, it's more work. Definitely more work. Definitely more liability. That's why you have production insurance. You know? Mm. We have a multi-million dollar insurance with uh, workers' comp insurance. So if somebody gets injured on set, you know, they're covered. It's a lot of things. It's not easy. But yeah. this is stuff I learned over the years. You know, we weren't always, you know, a production company that all, had all this stuff. It grew. I don't recommend doing all this from the get-go. I always recommend <laughs> working under another production company, learning their ways. Because mm. there are a lot of mistakes I made in the process trying to do it myself. Till I, you know, met these other companies and saw how they did it. What would you say was your biggest mistake? Oh my God. We make mistakes all the time. Some small, some big. I think. What's one that stands out? Oh my God. Underpricing. <laughs> yeah. You know, not realizing that I was actually taking a hit and paying for it at the end of the day. Because mm. out the hours you're, you know, spending and it seems like, oh man. You're working less than minimum wage. Yeah, it sounded like it was a $50,000 project uh, that was going to be a decent payday or a $100,000 project that was going to be a decent payday. I've done projects that were $100,000. And then by the time I calculated the amount of time and resource went into it, it was still a loss. So under, it's not about how big or small the budget is, it's what you're promising. So that's why I always say over, over promising. No, that's a big mistake sometimes. No, we, we just we promised to deliver a lot and we really didn't quantify what that would be, you know? Yeah. How do you, how do you um, prevent or how did you prevent that from happening after you started seeing that you were undercutting yourself to, a lot? I hate to say this experience because you yeah. start realizing what you're worth, you know, mm -hmm. it just comes with time. It's not going to happen over time. In the beginning, you're supposed to over deliver, I feel like. That's how you get that clientele. That's how you build that relationship. People hate it when I say that. You know, people hate it when I'm like, yeah, I did this pro bono and people bring up all these, oh, you're being taken advantage of. I'm like, oh, cool. I've chose to take, you know, I've chosen that route on my own, you know, to get right. to if that's how you feel. Not everybody has that same um, advantage either. I had that advantage. I was staying with my parents when I was a kid. You know, mm -hmm. I was 23, still staying with my parents. So I didn't have any expenses, so I could say yes to a free project. What did it do for me now? Here we are as a production company taking $1 million with the projects. It sounds like your wife was a big part in helping Huge taking your company part. to the next level. What's that like working with your wife and having her as a partner? You know, what's funny as a, as a, as a, when it comes to the love relationship, we never argue. When it comes oh. to production stuff, you're going to sometimes butt heads because I'm the creative. Absolutely. She's the production. So sometimes I want more and she's like, we can't afford to do more. So it's a good cop, bad cop situation. But at the end of the day, she's keeping us afloat. If it wasn't for her, 
I'd be just giving away these videos for free. Yeah. <laughs> so, she said she's straight. <laughs> yeah. She's like, look, this is what we can afford. She's not gonna, you know, not give the best quality stuff. She is just much more level-headed when it comes to pricing. Whereas I just want everything, you know, I want the best cameras. I want the best, you know, everything. And she's like, this is mm -hmm. what we can't afford. Let's give them a little bit better than what we can afford, but let's not, kill ourselves over it you know so yeah brings that realistic budget you know no, that's good that you have that especially you in have, a creative not everybody's going to be lucky enough to have a companion like that that's that loves you you know as a wife as a as, as somebody that's your soulmate right not everybody's gonna mm -hmm. have that i'm lucky in that sort that my business partner who produces me and by my work is also my wife and also somebody that's looking out for my best interest uh I've been in a situation where I've had producers that stolen money from me, you know? Ugh. <laughs> oh, yeah, it happens, trust me. It happens. Cause yeah, I believe it. They can generate whatever number and say, oh, man, we went over budget. Sorry, I can't pay you. <laughs> That's crazy. Mm -hmm. If um, somebody listening is, like, wanting to, you know, come together with their partner or spouse and build a business together. Do you have any tips of how you and your wife make it work working together? Oh, you know, it's, it's a very hard one. Sometimes I recommend it. Sometimes I don't, it really comes down to, yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> it really comes down to your partner's responsibility. Is this something they're also really truly down to? Is this something that's going to get in the way of your personal relationship and your family? You know, it's not worth mm -hmm. it. If you break your, no amount of money is ever worth sacrificing your love nope. life. Nope. You know, your love life. That is so important. So it's not for everybody. It, it it's truly not. that part is just luck and it's a blessing. So uh, just remember, keep the communication open, be as honest as possible, be as transparent as possible, you know? Yeah. Because those feelings. No, that's that's don't good. Let the, good take don't on let that. the ego drive driving sometimes, <laughs> sometimes even though you know your wife is right you let the ego speak and you say the wrong things i'm not gonna say it's a picture perfect for me you know sometimes we've gotten into you know arguments yeah. over the fact that i've had an ego and i said well you know we should have hired this person instead even though my wife knows like dude we didn't have that kind of budget you no know, she had a better <laughs> look you know when you're a creative person there will be some sort of ego and your wife is the person that's going to bring you back down to earth and that's needed sometimes yeah. that's an advantage that, that person keeps you in and you know mm -hmm. reality no that's good it's definitely similar for me and my husband too we worked together we worked together and then it kind of caused a strain in our relationship i had to leave the business but then i came back after you know everything was better but it's just like You're not saying anything that's different for a lot of people yeah it's a sacrifice you have to make absolutely what would you say is this is like a question i typically ask all my guests is how do you think that we as a creative community can annihilate the status quo of the starving artist uh, you know know your worth because some people stay starving forever i was like that to one mm -hmm. you know other partners were like man you need to be charging for this stuff because i was too nice of a guy so mm -hmm. know your worth ultimately um it's good to it's good to be hungry but it's not good to starve yeah never put yourself in a position where 
you are going to go homeless and you're risking it all. Not worth it. You know, mm -hmm. I was, yeah, it's easy for me to say, yeah, I did it for free, but that's not going to be the case for everybody. This business isn't for everybody, you know, like mm -hmm. you do have to be in a situation where you've got support from other people or you saved up just enough money where you're in a safety zone to be able to do that, you know, before yeah. you take risk. Owning a business is not easy. Every day, it's just like something can happen. You're liable for something. You know? mm -hmm. So yeah. I would say for the starving artist, it's good to be hungry, but don't starve yourself. I love that. Good yeah. to be hungry, don't starve yourself. That's good advice. Is there anything that you would um, give advice for like the creative that's listening that wants to be where you are right now? Like what first steps that they can take um, or any yeah. advice first that you can give them? First step is don't do this for the glamour that you think it is or, or the clout, as they say it. Like, mm -hmm. don't do it for, like, some sort of status symbol, you know, because it's not fun. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes, yeah, I'm like, oh, my God, this is awesome. I'm in Paris shooting a video, video with the Amigos, but, you know, <laughs> there's a lot that comes with this stuff. Don't get into this because you think this is easy money. It's not easy. This work is not easy. It never will be easy. You know, this is hard mm -hmm. work. If you want to work hard, make an honest living, it's never going to be easy. It's never going to happen overnight. You know, you have to be patient. You have to be open-minded. You have to be empathetic. You have to know how to communicate. Like a lot of qualities that have to come together for you to be able to make this a sustainable thing and last as, you know, last long. You know, I've been mm -hmm. in years. There are days when I'm like, man, I wish I was not doing this. I wish I was back on my own. <laughs> but then there are days I'm like, man, I am so lucky. Like, yeah. I have two months off, you know, mm -hmm. that I've chosen to take off. You know, not everybody can do that. There are disadvantages and advantages, but it has to be earned, you know. Nothing's mm -hmm. going to be given to you. You have to earn those privileges. Is there a certain um, job or like first step that they should do to like get the type of experience that you felt you feel like someone would need to get to where you are right now or to even like be hired you know, by you? Um, for me, it just depends on how much experience you already have, you know? Mm -hmm. Um. The quickest way to work for me, the easiest way to work for me is say, hey, I'd love to see if you can hire me as a PA. I have these following skills. I might have you doing the most unglamorous thing, which is fire watching. You're, you might be getting minimum wage to literally watch all the trucks, right? <laughs> now I'm being serious, but I'm also studying how honest is this person, how dedicated is this person. I've yeah. seen people that have done something as mundane as pick up all of our lunches to now being an art director for us or producing for us i've literally seen that. awesome you know these guys went from maybe making 200 to 150 dollar a gig to getting 2500 dollars to three thousand dollar check for that same you know amount of hours they put in to now you know sometimes i'm like yo man here's ten thousand dollars you know just depends mm -hmm. People grow with us. You know, one thing, we have a family business almost. Most of the folks that work with us are folks that 
we've just worked for a while, you know, with for, for a while. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's um, the thing. Like to get with us, it's like, what is your vibe? You know, how hardworking are you, and what's your vibe? Not the talent first. Cause talent, to me, it's so funny. <laughs> talent to me is more of a taste thing, and taste can be something. Some people may have bad taste, and they are around other people. It's no. also temporary too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. What you think is cool now might not be cool a month from now or years from now. No, I think that's good. Especially I feel like there's been a lot more creatives who either feel entitled or they have that ego and ego will destroy the creative. <laughs> ego is the first thing that'll destroy you. Mm-hmm. You know, if I've had ever relate destroyed a relationship that I regret, it, and I like I said, I'm not a perfect person, but it's because of my ego, and then the artist had an ego. And that combination is not good. Yeah. And absolutely. we look back at it like, oh, we both ruined a great thing. You know, we both were actually great collaborators. It's nothing worse than losing a good collaborator. And I look at it as collaboration, it's not client. You know, when I look at these mm-hmm. folks that people say is, you know, you're part of your portfolio, these are collaborators, they're not just your clients your friends your collaborators no that's a good perspective and a really a better way to look at it for sure is there anything um that our listeners can look forward to seeing from you next i know you mentioned you wrote a movie script you're gonna be pitching that around is there any other projects i don't know when it's gonna happen (laughs) years from now two years from now okay i'm passionate about is writing scripts right now I'm, i'm about to write two more scripts like i'm really you know like the music videos thing is awesome Every once in a while, I still get excited about it, but right now, I'm just so excited about TV and movie. And luckily, you know, in the cool. TV world, you know, I'm slowly getting started, you know, by working with Jesus and Nero, working on that end, the TV side of things. Oh, that's cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Shomi, for yeah. sharing your journey and your story. I know everybody listening is inspired and empowered. Thank you. Um, and- got to see learn a lot about the the things that happen behind the scenes of what you do so thank you so much for your time and sharing that with everybody anytime thank you if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe listen to a couple more episodes and share it with a fellow gangstar creative i would also be forever grateful if you left a review letting me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of And as a thank you for leaving me a review, I'll gift you both my 10 ways to create a Gangstar brand PDF and five ways to boost your online sales PDF. Just screenshot your review and DM me the picture on Instagram at Devonna Stimson and I'll send it right over to you. Until next time, cheers to annihilating the status quo of the starving artist.